Hey, welcome to the Mind Your Health Podcast. I'm so glad you can join us. I'm your host, Dr. Mina Merholm. I'm a board-certified psychiatrist and an assistant professor of clinical psychiatry in Columbia University. I'll be speaking with some of the leading experts in mental health around the world to learn how we can incorporate principles of lifestyle changes, our faith, as well as some of the leading innovations in mental health to learn how we can live happier and more fulfilled lives. And hopefully we'll have some fun along the way. I hope this inspires you and encourages you to mind your health. So welcome. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am so, so excited today for uh, for our guest. As, as you all know, my name is Dr. Mina Merrill. We're a certified psychiatrist. And today I am uh, I'm really pleased to be joined by someone that I've kind of been learning from for quite some time. And I just want to introduce you to Dr. Michelle Pierce. Uh, hi, Dr. Pierce. How are you? I am good. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. So I'm going to just tell the audience a little bit about you. Uh, you know, before your formal bio, I just wanted to, to share with everyone. I've been learning from Dr. Pierce, both from her books, as well as her courses, on how to really integrate faith and therapy uh, for, for depression, for anxiety, for a number of things. So I'm, I'm excited to introduce her here. She is a clinical psychologist and professor in, uh, in the graduate school at UMB, where she directs the Integrative Health and Wellness Graduate Program. Dr. Pierce received her PhD from Yale and completed her postdoctoral fellowship in cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT at Duke, and a second fellowship of spirituality and health at the Duke Center for Spirituality, Theology, and Health. I'm a big fan of as well. I love Dr. Koenig and his work. Mm-hmm. And she's the author of books, of the following books, uh, Night Bloomers, 12 Principles for Thriving Adversity, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Christians with Depression, a Practical Tool-Based Primer, which we're going to talk about today for a little bit, uh, which I just finished reading and I really, really love. And she's the co-author of Religion and Recovery from PTSD. Dr. Pierce is also a board-certified health and wellness coach and passionate about helping people achieve their wellness goals and live balanced, thriving lives. So thank you so much, Michelle. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us here today. That I'm delighted to be here. So let's jump, jump right in. I mean, uh, you know, I've had a lot of folks kind of have interest in spirituality, have interest in therapy, but how did you kind of get into this, this work? Because you, you've, you know, you've done a whole lot trained a whole lot. What made you interested in this topic? You know, a couple of answers to that. First, personally, you know, I'm a Christian. And so personally, this was always interesting to me. But then when I was doing my internship for clinical psychology, I started doing these little experiments with my clients. And the first one was this older African-American woman. And we were in the biofeedback pain clinic. And she was really disengaged. Like she could not figure out why this would be helpful for her pain, for her depression. And one day I just, I thought to ask her, like, what helps you cope with your pain? Mm-hmm. I can sound, she said, my, my faith, my faith in God is what does it for me. So on the fly, I thought, well, I'm going to modify this guided imagery and put her faith into it, you know, put Jesus into the, the guided imagery. Huh. And I have to tell you at the end of that, she's like, that worked. I don't, I don't know how to explain this. My pain went down. Like she was engaged in treatment. She seemed to like me better. And so I learned from that experience, like, oh, there's something about integrating a client's faith that mm. seems to be helpful. And I didn't know any of the research at this point, but that was sort of my start of like, I think there's something to this. And I started to learn the research. And as you know, over the years, I'm now in the privileged position of I get to train other people how to do this. Yes. Other people like myself, all these long-term fans. And it's, it's so amazing actually to hear you say that your interest started clinically, that it wasn't just kind of, you know, curious in the lab and just kind of see if this theory would work. And I, I've really seen that as well. I was recently seeing a patient in the inpatient unit where they, she had expressed a need that just, she wanted to see a chaplain. She wanted to have communion every day. 
And it was, as we know, sometimes it's labeled as like religious preoccupation. Mm-hmm. But when we spoke a little bit about it, he said, oh, this, this would be a big deal for me. This would really help my depression. So I, I love that. I love that. And, and one of the things that make people sometimes ask as well is, you know, shouldn't religion and faith, even if you're a Christian and a patient you're speaking to as a Christian, you know, shouldn't they go talk to their pastor or priest about faith stuff and then come back to their therapist and talk about therapy stuff? Do they kind of belong together? I hear that question a lot. So I get that from my clients. I hear that from therapists. I hear that from clergy members. They're all sort of saying like, I, I, we've sort of been trained that these things are separate things. Mm. You know, clients are feeling like, I don't know if I'll be respected. My faith will be respected. Therapists are saying, I've never been trained in this. I don't know how to do it. Clergy are saying, I don't know if this is a good idea. Like they may kind of mess up their faith somehow. And so everyone's a little reluctant. And, And to that, I say, I think we're asking the wrong question. Because truthfully, you know, as like a religious person or your clients, we can't leave our worldview and our value system at the door. You walk in a therapist's office, you're bringing all that with you. So it's going to be part of therapy, whether we address it or not. So I think the better question is, given it will be part of therapy, mm. how do we address it in a manner such that it can benefit our clients? That is, that is so well put. Uh, so we, we sometimes live in this fantasy world where we can kind of create this vacuum or structure in therapy and we can control all these things. And we don't realize there is a reality the patient or the client comes in with what they've got. And so do we. And as you're saying, though, I mean, you know, I've, I've had priests or pastors tell me, you know, I don't know. I'm just worried about people going to therapy, as you're saying, because I don't want them to lose their faith. I don't want them to start, you know, worshiping Freud. <laughs> I don't want them to feel like... But, you know, to your point that there is this sort of integration. And from your experience, have you seen that when we start to take away that dichotomy, does it actually help talk about the person's faith in their depression treatment? Yeah, it really does. And I can tell you from my own experience, yes, I've seen that. But I also tell you from the research So there's these meta studies, which just puts together all bunch of smaller studies to look at the bigger outcome. And it said, when we integrate spirituality, what impact does it have on one psychological outcomes? That's like depression, anxiety, and two spiritual outcomes. Mm -hmm. And it showed that, yes, we're having good outcomes for psychological things, depression, anxiety. Also, it's benefiting people spiritually. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important for clients and clergy to know that these kind of therapies can actually support and build up a client's well-being. I love that. I love that you can, you know, because we know that when we're coming from an evidence base, that we're, we don't just feel this kind of, this would be nice, but there's that, the body of literature is tremendous, right? It's, we're talking about thousands of studies like yourself, Harold Koenig, John Petit, these folks who are kind of pioneers in the field that we get to learn from you all. And I think it's a really important point that I just want to flag what you're saying here. Not only is it going to make the depression better, but even, and I had a patient, for example, tell me once, you know, once my integrated kind of faith depression mm-hmm. treatment happened, I was able to pray better. I felt like yeah. I was able to be more engaged in, in church, you know, and allow me to work. There. And that's something ultimately, you know, our goal is whatever the, the person wants to do and want to lead them in that direction. So, so I love that. I'm, I'm, you know, speaking of the evidence base, I'm just curious. I want the audience to learn more about your research because it's been so robust. Can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about kind of what things you've kind of looked into at Duke? Yeah. So this all started out, I think it was 2010, 2011. Harold Koenig, sort of the guru in the area, he was the PI, and he invited me to be part of this study. We looked at what is conventional CBT, like how it's usually done in the clinic, versus a religiously integrated CBT. And I can explain both later what that means, but we wanted to see, like, could both be helpful, especially the religiously integrated, for people who are religious Mm. and who had some sort of depression, some level of depression, and some medical illness. 
So we kind of pitted these two therapies against each other. And I developed the Christian manual. So we've got 10 sessions, but an hour each. And I had a whole protocol for how we integrate Christianity into this. And then we had it um, translated to Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and Judaism. So we had five world religions. And we did this study. And we found same outcomes. So whether you got conventional or you got religiously integrated, your depression went down after three months, your depression was significantly lower. Now, most therapy studies that pit one therapy against the other, fine. It's like the dodo bird effect. There are all of us are winners. So we weren't surprised, right? That these were the same. But what we were really happy to see was that if we integrate clients faith, which we've been told taboo, don't do that. This works. And it held over three months. So we followed up at 12 weeks and three months later, still depression was significantly lower. That is amazing. That's, uh, I mean, it's, it's great to kind of see from a, the studies kind of show it. And it's part of the reason I think there was a big initiative even for, for the APA, the American Psychiatric Association, to have a partnership, you know, with faith communities. And then again, it showed, it reinforced the issue with sometimes faith folks can, can kind of ask is the therapy even really work? I mean, I hear a lot about the CBT, DBT, all these BTs of kind of something or other. I don't really know. Break it down to someone who's kind of interested in therapy. What's yeah. CBT all about? What is this whole concept here? Yeah, good question. So CBT is one of our most popular therapies out there, one of the most validated empirically treatments we have. And to put it really simply, if I could draw you a, a triangle, because you're going to imagine audience members, you've got our feelings, you've got thoughts, and you've got behaviors. And we've got interconnected arrows between these three circles. And so the theory behind CBT is saying, you're coming to the therapist's office because you're feeling something up here, right? You're feeling depressed and feeling anxious. The theory states, and it's been proven, if we will change what we're thinking or what we're doing, our behavior, we can change how we're feeling. Mm. And so that's what CBT does. We really help you identify and then change dysfunctional, unhelpful beliefs. And we help you identify and change behaviors that are contributing to depression. Hmm. That would be CBT in a nutshell. Love it. And, and even before we sort of formally put that in the manual, right from the faith perspective, there have been a, a long time of literature from Christian thinkers and, and writers who would say, there is this relationship between your mind, right? You guard your mind out of which to flow the issues of life, right? There is this right. relationship. And in your book, one of the things that I loved is you went in detail about how these thoughts, you can have a source of how to renew them, right? From the Romans 12, one kind of perspective. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you approach that, this religiously or, or Christian CBT? Yeah. What is that all about? What does that look like? Yeah. So it's funny. We kind of think like we had CBT and then we had Christian CBT. <laughs> and really, I think Christian CBT was like 2000 years ago, because you look at the scriptures and they're all about how our, like you just stated, like a heart and our mind, our behaviors are all interconnected. So mm-hmm. it, it just fits so well, this model. But mm-hmm. so religiously integrated CBT or Christian CBT is really saying it's the same thing as CBT, same principles, same tools, but the foundation for all the work is the client's religious tradition, in this case, Christianity. It's their worldview. It's their value system. It's the scriptures. And you can imagine under that nice triangle, those three things upon the trial, is this box, this foundation. And it's called, you know, in this case, Christianity, beliefs, practices, values, right? And so the therapist helping a client tap into your foundation. So if you call Christianity truth with a capital T, Mm. let's see if your thoughts, are they lining up with truth, capital T? If Uh they're not... 
That's the standard. Let's change your thinking so it lines up with what you consider to be the truth. Let's look at your behaviors. Are they lining up with what your scriptures say are like the way to be in the world? Forgiveness and gratitude and love. Like are your behaviors lining up with that? If not, let's take your highest truth and change your behaviors. And then we see this change in feeling. I love it. And it would kind of flow so well if, if you're already starting with something that's important to the person and then kind of walking them through that change in behavior. I'm curious, though, if you've had this experience before where as you're beginning to sort of unpack the person's worldview or, you know, even that capital T truth, I've had some patients, for example, who will, will be very convinced, hey, this is, you know, the Bible says X, Y, Z. And I'm like, are you sure? I don't know. <laughs> that sounds like not a great way to look at the world. And, you know, they would be surprised from their own worldview. Basically, what I'm saying is, has there been situations where faith can actually be somewhat of the problem with the patient? What's that situation? Yeah, absolutely. And that's happened to me too, where a client will have an interpretation of scripture that I'm sort of like, oh, gosh, like that sounds like a really uncaring God or really judgmental, punishing God. Like that's really different than my conception. Mm. And so as therapists, I walk a very careful line because I'm not a spiritual minister. I'm not there to do like theological discussions. Mm. So in those cases, I might say, you know, do you think it'd be helpful to speak with a clergy member? Because they're really trained in this and they can speak about the interpretations of these scriptures that maybe you've got it right, but maybe you don't. And if you don't, it can make a big difference, right? So that's where working with clergy is so important when I run into those areas. Absolutely. I remember conducting a, a sort of an inpatient consult with a clergy member recently, just to kind of clarify that that situation, that perspective to, to a patient. And it was very helpful, the same way as you would call an oncologist in or you call a rheumatologist say, hey, there's the expert. And he said, hey, maybe we could be looking at this, you know, in a little bit of a different way. So one of the things I was curious also about, you know, from your book, because I found that it was so practical, you know, as a, as a primer, there were all these tools that are kind of, you know, that you can just apply right away, whether you're sitting with a therapist or by yourself. Can you talk a little bit about these, these seven CCBT tools that you discussed in the book that I thought were impactful? Sure. Yeah. And so I distilled that manual that I talked to that had those 10 sessions. I distilled it so that a, a client or a clinician could just pick and choose what tool mm -hmm. made sense for them. So there's four that are cognitively based, focus on those thoughts, and mm -hmm. three that focus on the behaviors. Mm -hmm. So I'll just walk through them real quick. The cognitive ones, the first one I called it renewing your minds, which we probably know from the scriptures, like planting truth. Mm -hmm. So helping clients to pick verses that they could memorize. Because think about when you're depressed, you're ruminating, but right. you're ruminating on some pretty negative stuff. Right. So now I want to help you. Let's ruminate on scripture, on truth. Let's put some positive things in that bank account in your mind. Mm -hmm. Another one to help with renewing the mind is called contemplative prayer. And that's mm -hmm. simply like, let's take this memory verse and go deep. How is mm -hmm. it applying to your life? Like what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Like, what does it really mean to you? And so taking 10 or 15 minutes and go deep with that. Now be the first one. And that really informs the second one, which I call changing your mind or metanoia. Metanoia is an ancient Greek word means to repent, literally change your mind. <laughs> I think it's so funny how many of the Christian concepts are part of CBT, but how do we change our mind? So that's where I teach, we teach clients how to, how to identify these thoughts that aren't helpful, how to mm -hmm. challenge them and change them. And we're using the scripture to be able to do that. The third one I call redemptive reframing, and that's finding God in the blessing, finding God and finding the blessing in the suffering. Mm -hmm. So this is one that takes a little bit of skill because we don't want to invalidate what a client is going through when they're suffering. 
but often we can get them to the place where they are able to see from another perspective, like, where is God in this? Mm. What might he be up to? Is there some benefit in here? Like, what else is going on from a higher spiritual perspective that I haven't been looking at before? It can be really helpful. And the last cognitive one is acceptance and forgiveness. And we know those are psychological and also spiritual tools that help us get their negative emotions. So those are the cognitive ones. And then for behavioral, we have uh, reaching out and, and connecting. And I really mean that within a religious community. There is research that says there's something different about spiritual support than just social support. And they can't quite put their finger on that, but we can have our own ideas about why that is. So it's how do I get connected with people in my church community? Not just so they can support me, but how can I support them? How can I be praying for you? How can I be there for you so that it's just reciprocal giving and receiving of support? The next one is saying thanks or gratitude. Like so much good research on gratitude and probably a lot of the listeners have heard about how good gratitude is, but this is also like from a religious perspective. So it's not just giving thanks kind of to the universe or to friends. It's like God has provided all of these things. And so it's another person being to give thanks to And the last one is giving back or service. And this is really looking at a religious motivation. Like, why do we serve? What about that commitment to love others? Like, how do I tap into that to be able to give back to other people? So those are the seven tools. Amazing tools. They really are. And and to me, one of the things that struck me when I was reading them is you sort of did a great job of breaking down these different ways that you can have Christ present in every way, whether it's through the in, from a mindset standpoint of ruminating the word or from a presence of being you know, in fellowship with others or in serving others. It's really for, for us, especially in the Orthodox context, there's this idea of always having communion with Christ mm-hmm. is the source of all healing. Right. And I, and I really felt that that was such a, a wonderful practical manualized way to do it. You know, just mm-hmm. sometimes it's an abstract thought and people don't really know how to apply it, but I think you nailed it. So I know you've got a ton more things to do, so I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I am curious about two last things, if I may. One is if someone wants to seek out a therapist who will be able to sort of integrate this in their practice, how do they do, how do they find someone who does that? Good question. So I wrote down a couple of associations if you're looking for a Christian counselor. We've got National Christian Counselors Association, but American Association of Christian Counselors and American Association of Pastoral Counselors. So you go to one of those websites, you have a good chance of having finding a Christian counselor in your area. The other flip side is if you want someone who's really good with CBT, is mm. go to the Association for Behavioral and Cognitive Therapies. Then you can look for a therapist there. They've got they know CBT backwards and forwards. They may not know the religious integration piece. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, two options for a therapist who's open. One is they could read the book right? I wrote it for therapists so they could quickly learn these practical tools. They don't have to be a Christian themselves to do it. And then you talked about the online, it's on edX platform, the spiritual competency training and mental health. It puts together about an eight hour training program that therapists could go in for eight hours, learn how to do this and then work with you. So a couple of options, whether they want to go this way or, or that way to find someone. And I can say, as I mentioned, I can vouch for several of these tools myself, you know, having gone through the course and it was eye-opening in a lot of ways, really practical, really evidence-based. So if, as you're saying, a therapist of any background could really benefit from it because chances are you may have a patient or a client who has this, you know, Christian worldview. So it would be really helpful to have. And the other, you know, I just want to reaffirm again, kind of really encourage the listeners, please check out the book, uh, either one. If you're, you know, we've got a little, there it is here, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Christian Depression. It's phenomenal, whether you get the, the hard copy or, uh, you know, or the, the ebook. 
on Amazon, wherever you buy books, uh, as well as Religion and Recovery from PTSD, because Anne Knight Bloomers, the principal for Thriving Diversity, I think this book, the newest one here, right, is going through a lot of resilience, adversity, how you kind of cope through difficult situations. And I know in one of the religious communities that there's a good amount of people who are watching, there was just recently a church that was burned down, you know, out in Western Canada, and there's, you know, the, the, the church family is grieving. And I think this is, this book, if there's, if nothing else you can do this week, pick up Dr. Pierce's book. I think this will really help you get through that. So I'm just so grateful, Dr. Pierce, for, for taking for you taking the time to speak with us today. And I and I hope if your schedule permits, we can maybe do this again and, and talk about the second. That would be that would great. Work. That'd be great. It's been lovely to be here. It's so different not to see the audience. So <laughs> hello to all of you. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you wanted to reach me directly, you could email me. It's just Michelle. I don't know if you want to put the chat or somewhere. Uh, Michelle2Ls.Pierce, P-E-A-R-C-E, dot U-Maryland, dot E-D-U. So if you wanted to reach out, you can. Oh, that's excellent. We're going to share that in the link as well to make sure that folks can, can reach out to you. Thank you for even offering that for people to, to email you directly. So appreciate it again, Dr. Pierce. Thank you for the audience for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for checking out this episode. Please take a second to rate and review as this helps us reach more people. And until then, please don't forget to mind your health. See you soon.